Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling restless. Restless? Why? Because I just really want to find somewhere to sit down and I just can't find somewhere to sit. And in my mind, I have this real vision of something completely spectacularly beautiful, like a really beautiful kind of bench that I can just sit down. I think it's really strong, but it's got a kind of quietness to it. And ideally, it would be carved out of oak and Mm. maybe scorched. And, oh, uh, yes. and maybe like really taken care of so beautifully that when you sit on it, you just feel like kind of very happy to be in the world. And um, <laughs> today's guests, luckily, are here to help. Woo! Um, you and I have been big fans of theirs for a, t- a long time now. I first yeah. saw their work in Shoreditch in 2014 at the gallery that was on the same road as the Carl Friedman gallery they were called Charlotte Mar- Road yeah Charlotte Road called Marsden Wu which was an amazing I think it still is a gallery but they um, often show artists who cross over and have that intersection with design and function and form and um, sculpture and I used to go there every time they had a show and I saw an amazing installation there with a number of works by our guests today and then you became particularly obsessed and I know that you actually live with a few of their yeah uh, I've got about five works, works. Yeah. Vessel, well, the vessels, yes. Five yeah. vessel works. Yeah. And the amazing thing about this partnership, the two artists we're going to meet today, is that they're often very functional kind of objects that you can actually interact with, use, you know, sit on like the benches. But they've actually expanded over the past few decades into major interventions into landscape and even kind of fully formed environments which you can like go inside and that are still part of a wider landscape but create their own kind of universe Mm. and they were also nominees for the 2019 Loewe Craft Prize which a friend Mm -hmm. of ours Jonathan Anderson has been the kind of brains behind that whole craft prize project with Loewe yeah that was really exciting for both of us wasn't it we went and saw their yeah uh, that's when I met them is that the first time you met them yeah yeah I was starstruck well, you can continue <laughs> to be starstruck today because oh. we would like to welcome to Talk Art Jim, Jim Partridge, Partridge and, and Liz Wormsley. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. We <laughs> were starstruck as well. Aww. Aww. That's very sweet. Where, where do we find you in the world right now? In Shropshire, North Shropshire. And you're, you're near the Welsh border there, right? Yeah, just a few miles from the Welsh border. So it's real crossover country. 
Yeah, and borderlands. And what's what's Shropshire like today? What's the weather like? It's sunny, so, cold, uh, but so sunny we've got to uh, draw the curtains to stop it blinding us. So that's lovely. So, so you <laughs> live you live in Shropshire, and you also work in Shropshire. Is it in yeah. the same building that you do the work? Is that a live work environment you're in? Just across the yeah, drive, just uh, very close. Yeah. So twenty yards away. That's great. And do you do you have like is that quite good? I mean, obviously the location you can get to work easy, but is there some sort of um, do you have to set rules in place where this is work and this is home, or does it sort of bleed in? Um, it all bleeds yeah it might be a good idea if we had a few more rules but um the commute's very short but you don't actually leave work in the way that some people can just leave work and leave it behind but then it's always been a mix and it's always a discussion about what's work and what's life anyway right you know right so a lot of the things we're making we're making for us i mean sometimes if it obviously if it's commission it's different, but I'd like to think it remained a hobby, even though it's actually <laughs> been our job for 40 years. It's your career. It's one yeah, job. Yeah, really? like your, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, because to quote, you are... Actually, yeah. Exactly, yeah, job, job and career. But you, to quote, you are inter- internationally regarded as two of the best British artists working in wood. Hmm, that's nice that to know. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you, you just said that yeah. you make things for yourself is that how you apart from commissions is that how you predominantly approach your practice are you thinking of things that you would want to live in domestically for you or things that you would want to see in your environment hmm. there's going to be a lot of pauses in this talk i think um, That's right. uh, okay. <laughs> i think it would be both those things yeah. um we we make things that we think work and we work on them until they do work the way we want them to work or they don't get out there really. So, and it's making things that are really functional but also are quite beautiful Mm. and also have looked at, you know, for a seat say, sort of how you sit, the different ways you sit, the different places you sit. Um, it was interesting you were talking about the restless bench to start with yeah. you know that's got scoops on it that are a little bit odd they're not in a straight line or anything but it's it's got that air of so you can choose whether to sit close to somebody or further away from somebody yeah but the fact that it's a slab of wood that's got scoops in it instantly makes somebody recognize it and be comfortable with it as a seat rather than as a i don't know a sculptural intervention yeah so i think the fact that they're very functional objects that you use them changes how people perceive them so what it is all very domestic i think what we do even the big things feel quite domestic to me so very human human yeah Yeah. it's all human scale yeah i've always really liked them as um 
as sculptures as well. I think mm. when I first yeah. saw them, I saw them as art in a way. Like I didn't actually realize you, you could sit on them weirdly. To me, they oh, had this kind failed. of, mag- <laughs> they had a kind of majesty. No, but I saw them in Russell's, Russell's house. And I think, I think seeing them in his context, because he has so much art everywhere, yeah. that everything kind of becomes like an artwork. And even when he has yeah. like a, I don't know, like a dining room table or something, you feel like you don't want to put something on it because it's so beautiful. <laughs> and it's like a kind of installation, like an environment in itself. Yeah. But, but I, um, the thing I, I, I personally really related to with you guys is that um, my family are Welsh and my um, uncle Pat um, actually makes furniture himself. And he made me a Welsh chair recently, yeah. um, a bit more like if you think of um, the kind of tradition of Welsh, you know, um, furniture, mm-hmm. it, it's one of those amazing, it's almost like what Urkel um, went on to be inspired yeah. by, I think. Stick. Stick. But I loved um, went talking with my uncle about the kind of um, soul of wood and like oak trees and the kind of like movement of grain. And um, with your work, it's just like that's why to me they, they, they are like sculptures and they're kind of majestic is because you see the kind of energy, the flow through the, the oh. grains of the wood and even the way you polish it to this kind of lustrous black finish. They're, they're just so gorgeous. You just want to like, I don't know, like hug them or something. They're tactile or sit in them. You, you want to touch them and, and yeah. they've got yeah. a, a weight to them yeah. and you have an innate understanding of the potential of the material that you're working with. Yeah. 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 And there's a lot of stuff going on with that piece of wood because there is that texture that you're talking about that makes you want to touch them. But also with something like the block seats, which are made out of a huge chunk of oak that comes from the middle of a tree you can actually look at how many years you're sitting on. You know, you could be yeah. sitting on the last century. You are pretty You know, much. there's all sorts of different elements that come into it that, mm. um, you know, as well as what happens visually when you look at it and mm. the line and stuff like that, that mm. we spend ages sort of um, discussing. Working on. <laughs> working on, yeah. Yeah. So, so, you're, so you're, where you are now, you're surrounded by trees, I take it. It's quite a lot. It's quite wooded, yeah. Yes, yeah. And we're not you, in a forest, but you're not in a forest. But do you no. ha, do you personally like hack down trees, or do you have people that bring wood to you, or and there's a certain type of wood that you're always kind of drawn to? We almost always work with oak. Yeah. And most of the stuff we do needs quite big diameter trees, sort of. So we start with a, a log, really. Rather than planks. The butt of a tree. So Shropshire, there's a lot of old parkland and those sort of, if you imagine oak trees growing in parkland conditions, big spready oaks, that kind of thing. They they grow big diameters rather than tall. And thin. And so there's quite a lot of it around. So are we, but to directly answer your question, mostly we get timber from one or two sawmills nearby and they mostly get it from the area and it's not commercially grown oak it's trees that are have come down because there's a road development or a house being built or for some reason they've mm. or they've blown down or whatever mm. so it's sustainability not, wise it's trees trees that are sort of have been failed for a reason not for a not, reason yeah. other than yeah. straight forestry yeah. i mean so we, I have, you have, yeah. we have we have some jobs we have we had one job building a very long bridge in um, in Jersey, and for that actually we used we ended up using French oak because the French were oak growing their oaks in woodlands um, uh, and quite close together. So it, it produces something taller 
and That's straighter great. and thinner, um, yeah. but still, you know, still st strong in the same ways. Yeah. So, so we okay. ended up using those kind of things because we needed the length. We didn't need width, you know. Right, so, right. It's, but it, yeah. but for the most part, the most part, yeah. it's it. And one of the other things we use quite lovely. a lot of, if we can get it, is curved logs. That so, if you imagine a either a very big branch, often even bigger tree that's sort of curving up, round and up, or or a tree that's grown on a hillside and sort of curved up towards the sun. Mm. Because if we then cut a shape out of that curve log, the grain is going around the curve oh, wow. rather than across it. So we can kind of exploit that. So as it dries out and cracks, we can uh, we can we can make those cracks follow the line of the object we're making. So even though we're generating the shape, we can kind of exploit what's already in the in the tree or was already in the tree. You're sort of working with it. So yeah, working yeah. with it. Because yeah. I suppose that's one of the things we haven't said that's significant about a lot. A lot of what we make is it's made out of unseasoned wood. So we do a lot of the shaping first and then let it shrink and dry out and crack up. Which what is, is unseasoned then? What is, what is seasoned? Unseasoned as, it, as, you know, as, it, as it's growing. So it's still full of sap. So freshly chopped or fairly freshly, freshly chopped. Filled, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because oak dries out very slowly anyway, because it's growing, it's drying out from the outside in. So, so as it dries out, it shrinks and warps and cracks open a bit. And and the drying out process is to get rid of the sap that, yeah. it, that naturally. So yeah. once you've you've kind of hacked it off of a section, then the yeah. sap will what will drain off or will it evaporate? Or? It evaporates out slowly over you know months or a couple of years, years. possibly. Yeah, does it? Yeah. yeah so um and actually so yeah so okay <laughs> <laughs> um i was just thinking i was trying to explain how much water or sap there is in a log so i think we sometimes weigh them to see whether they finish drying out and so something that perhaps starts at a say 140 kilos so a, a chunk of wood that is like the weight of two people if they're 70 kilos each, uh, would probably lose 40 kilos of, of water oh, right. as it dried out. So it'd probably end up at 100 kilos. And it shrinks in that process. It shrinks yeah. and it shrinks a lot. Yeah. It shrinks more than people think. Because yeah. a lot of stuff that people buy, you know, when they buy kiln-dried timber, it's been cut into thin planks, you know, yeah. and it's been dried in a sort quite of... Quite quickly. Yeah, quite quickly. And mm. the bowls are sometimes dried quite quickly. Yeah. The vessels. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you've got vessels there, you should see a kind of. But we don't mind if they crack. Kind of irregularity. Oh yeah, celebration of them as they dry. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So I guess for you guys, timing feels like it's a big factor of your practice. Timing for waiting for trees to come to you. I mean, you've got to obviously put orders in, but then the timing for once you've got them of cutting them up and then waiting for them to dry. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of waiting around is there or there is yeah yeah which is but why... a, the, so a lot of the work happens first so we've got a house full of things that are drying out but we can still sort of enjoy them as objects yeah and we i mean we kind of regularly go to the sawmills particularly one sawmill and look at what they've got in and then if there's something that would suit what we want to make we kind of we put our name on it and we eventually get that piece of timber and then we will work with that 
and make something oh. so you make the initial shape well but the vast oh. majority of the shaping and then you dry it out for quite a long period so um, and you watch as it dries and you we weigh it to see how much water it's losing and some of those big pieces never dry out completely because you'd have to keep them for about i don't know how many years you'd have to keep them but uh, so sometimes things do kind of carry on opening up a little bit afterwards but you know, providing they haven't gone the other side of the world we could uh, we can maintain that if we need to yeah and is it and this sawmill sorry and this sawmill you go to is it is it quite competitive there you know you say you put your name on it people turn up and they're like jim and liz have got this and like oh, for god's sake they've got that again how comes they get everything is there any sort of like local competition with people that are making furniture no, and not crowd? really yeah. no it, it's more to do with the fact that they have um what their own up? their own and their own very unique way of yeah. organizing their business yeah. and they're dealing with all sorts of it's old uh, school all sorts of wood and they they do planks they do firewood with all the yeah. spare bits they sell stuff to us it's in in sort of butt form you know the trunks uh, they're uh, and they don't they very often don't answer their phone so you have to go there right. so it's um uh, yeah. Sounds like they haven't got a website then showing you all the logs <laughs> that are in. No, they haven't got email. <laughs> they haven't got email? Oh, wow. Or if they have to, don't use it. <laughs> right. You've got to be there in person, old school. I love the yeah. idea. I love the yeah. idea. It that is old this, school. Um, all this time that you have, it kind of it kind of lends itself for you guys to like think up ideas as well, I guess. It must create a kind of space. It becomes like this big kind of, um, I don't know, like... There's things at different stages going on all the time so we've got things that are nearly ready to be delivered and we've got logs that are waiting to be cut up and they all have different kinds of thinking associated with them and then what we probably are short of and would like to get more of is time to just think abstractly of oh, what would be what would be good to try next mm. but that's often triggered by finding a piece of wood that's a certain shape or somebody saying can we have a Mm. a table or whatever yeah, yeah it's all a bit, mixture of it's how you start off on a project it's different from how you finish it mm. so if it isn't a commission you're guided by the wood that you've got in your possession yeah largely, largely. yeah and you always you seem to work very minimally it feels like there's a very contemporary feel even though it's at the the it's wood which is you know historical mm. yeah. as mm. an as a a material but you you work very minimally there's such a minimalism and the clean lines to what you're working with yeah. where does that does that come that aesthetic come from something like art history or does that come from design or architecture oh um it's, we've always liked modernism and what min- we like minimalism. <laughs> yeah. yeah and i suppose <laughs> that if you if you went kind of i suppose that does come from mm. I think um, architecture, with, yeah. and, but liking the simple lines and, and you know, architecture and design. Yeah. But I think one of the, well, in fact, the first project we worked on together was a Grisdale forest up in the Lake District, where they had a big uh, sculpture project that had been going on for maybe three or four years when we got there, five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were the first people there to go and work on the sort of infrastructure on footbridges and stiles and gates and public seating and things like that. But using the same criteria that the sculptors there were working with, 
and the ones yeah. we, or the, and that's where we saw a big range of public art I suppose or art in a in a particularly in a rural landscape at that point mm. and so people like um David Nash and Andy Goldsworthy and mm. um Land Arts, yes. Robert, uh, Richard Harris Richard Harris yeah. Richard Harris mm. I mean they, they'd all been working there either at the same time we were or, or just before, before. Mm. so we were very taken with that whole school of of land art and also the it fitting into its environment which is yeah. another aspect that mm. we haven't really talked about that yeah. much but it's for it was yeah. for site specific things yeah that but gets... in terms of the simple lines which is mm. what you were talking about mm. i think it's it's what we like and it's what we like in in terms of design what we've liked in terms of architecture through you know the 20th century i suppose um so it's and not wanting fussiness, not wanting decoration, not wanting those things that, you know, are, are parts of very successful other practices, but it's not mm. what we like. And there's enough going on in the wood anyway that you don't need to... Embellish it. Yeah, yeah to embellish it. And you don't some... need to carve acorns on something to make it look like an oak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it has a strength, I think, in that simplicity. Mm. Not always that easy to achieve simplicity. <laughs> I, I actually think there's something really powerful about if you think of works that you've made that are kind of um, almost like traditional benches that you might have. I don't know, like you did one in Wisley at the RHS Wisley, which oh, is a yes. kind of curved seat. And then you did the amazing one at CB1 Cambridge, where you've got, you were talking earlier about the, the curve in the, in the yeah. wood, but like that's a great example of that kind of shape and movement. Of the and it's curve. like a bike rack as well at the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brilliant, yeah. yeah. But, but I, I love it when you have those kind of curved shapes within um, like a landscape. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. those two pieces you mentioned are, were both constructed rather than carved out of solids so were actually generating the curve oh, right. quite consciously. So that's not the case of finding a curvy log and saying oh this would be nice that's a case of us saying we want something that spirals around this space or, because it worked in the space yeah. and actually that piece the one at cb1 i mean it has a bike rack because everybody's got a bike in cambridge and it's right by the station where the lots of people cycle to yeah. and uh, it also was a celebration of a, a business there that had started um, bringing in balks of timber along the railway and then from 100, over 100 years before. Uh, and then they had over that century kind of refined to being a very sort of sophisticated DIY sort of or builder's yeah. centre. Yeah. And so that piece of work goes from fat chunks, fat short, short chunks fat. at one end around this curve, all the pieces getting finer and thinner and taller More as delicate. they get to the other end so it's it was to celebrate a century of that yeah. business's existence oh, wow. so that so. gave us a sort of key into the project i don't think many people looking at it would be aware straight aware away. of that <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and then that doesn't matter at all but they would be aware that it's curving and tapering and changing from one end to the other yeah. mm -hmm. What 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 is it like making work as a married couple? You've had a, you've got a long established collaboration. You've you've had like thirty years. I think in nineteen eighty six you started designing and making furniture together. 
th- over 30 years of like two minds coming together, making work. <laughs> what is that like living and working and, you know, trying to get, this is my idea. I think this is a better design for the curve or I want this or what is, what is that been like? Sometimes, sometimes we completely agree and that goes swimming. Eh? And if we both like something, there's a good chance that other people will like it as well. Okay. That's a barometer. Uh, other yeah. times one or other of us is pushing for something and the other one either goes along or doesn't and what happens if the other one doesn't somebody, go along somebody, <laughs> yeah. somebody's right it's nothing i don't think anything goes out there that either one of us wouldn't want to go out there okay yeah so in a sense it's a discussion yeah. and the other person is either persuaded or in the process of that discussion yeah. the idea is yeah. developed in a different way yeah. so ho- hopefully the discussion happens earlier on in the project so you haven't if it's not if it's a non-starter mm. hopefully you haven't done too much work mm. yeah and it, it is, then wasted it because it's not working for one of us and it is a bit more you know two heads are better than one sort of case yeah. really because you've got two lots of people yeah firing in ideas about something or one bit of an idea then somebody picks up that uh, that idea and thinks yeah I and mean, if we did that but, what about this mm. so you know there's what if yeah and there's a lot of what ifs and how about and can you come and look at this yeah kind yeah. of conversation and what's it like if you do sort of um have something that doesn't work or fails um because often we talk about the successes of people's careers and you talk about their <laughs> their monumental achievements but often the failures are quite interesting so like i just watched a documentary about bridget riley and i was thinking about you guys quite yeah. a lot in that i watched it last night and her yeah. relationship to nature i think she would love your your benches you know because she could then look out you know to nature like um i've got two questions one is about like do you see things as a mistake or do they then lead you somewhere else um and then also does the nature like the, do, do you directly respond to nature and the shapes of nature when you're thinking of the shapes that you're going to create to answer the second one i i don't think we directly respond we saw that program about Bridget Riley. It's really mm. good. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Love that kiss picture. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, no, I think it, if a piece is going into a specific environment, then you think about that. Right. So to that sense, mm. if it's a piece outside, it's the nature yeah. of the environment around it. Yeah. But I think we, yeah. We're doing a bit less of that kind of work at the moment. So we're doing more speculative pieces really aren't we unless that are for that's the plan for this exact spot yeah yeah sorry oh, i forgot what the first question was. no about about like do you see them as failures or do you see um, them as as a, it's a means pretty to... rare that there's things are complete failure that you can't learn something from just occasionally we say never going to do that again <laughs> that's, uh, like yeah, what like got, what, what has that been like what have you what would you do <laughs> Well, it, well, one thing which wasn't a failure at all was real success, we thought. Was <laughs> we curated an exhibition and we're not curators. It was, a fun- it was called Sitting and Looking and we made loads of furniture for people to sit on and look at other people's work. And then we invited seven or eight other people to, to fill the exhibition space. Yeah. So we had jewellers, uh, ceramicists. And so we had... 
we, we had different yeah. people yeah. Um, who were actually in the exhibition and we provided the furniture but, to but, put their exhibits on and also to sit and look at it. And the nice. idea was that lots of exhibitions, you just walk past stuff and you don't really see it properly. Yeah. So yeah. we made spaces where there was seating, there was seating so that people could discuss yeah. things with one another, so, with the objects in front of them. Yeah. So we did that and that we thought that was very that was successful. A, yeah, it was really successful as an exhibition, but as curators, we never wanted to do that again. So we are, there's one so thing. Really so really stressful. stressful. <laughs> oh, really? So many emails, so much. <laughs> yeah. You we really... did briefly think it made us better people because we said, oh, we're always going to reply to emails straight away from now on. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to respect curators hugely. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but this, in terms of work, in terms of work, we've got a wood burning stove, and some pieces have ended up in that. So but, it's fuel, but not very, not very many, not very many really. Do you do you worry about the public commissions about uh, how they're going to survive and and how the use and stuff? Because there was a work I found out about which um, was called Log Lookout which was made in 96, 97, but in 2004 it had to be dismantled because it just broke down over time. Is, are things like that quite painful or are you quite like leased and that's, that's just the nature of the beast we're working with? That particular one was made out of softwood logs. Right. Um, there's a few things that have had to come down after, but it's after 20 years or Mm. 25 years or something I don't know that's a pretty good lifespan for a bit of outdoor yeah. public furniture but, that hasn't had any maintenance no and that was that yeah that was the one at Kielder wasn't that it? was the one at Kielder yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah Kielder Forest that was yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. A, I mean it's a shame that it's not there but would you want to replace it sort of thing or are you like that is that was that work and that's it's lifespan and well, it's it was really now. hard work that one I wouldn't want to rebuild it for another the same right and it it was we're old now <laughs> it was a glorious Stiffer. it was a glorious idea but having to chip the ice off before you could put the next layer on was yeah. uh <laughs> was not so we good and it was winter. just both and it was just you two installing it yeah yeah, yeah. wow yeah. and it yeah. took a year to install no no, no. no. most of the winter i think yeah yeah Gosh. i mean silly time yeah. to be doing it yeah. But you, that's interesting, you, isn't yeah. it? Because it's almost like the idea, like it doesn't have to last forever. It's almost like it's yeah. enough for it to have a lifespan. And that's yes. quite poetic in itself, isn't it? Yeah. And I guess if yes. you think of nature, which your work is so linked to, mm. it kind of does make sense in the cycle. It was a fantastic piece at Grisdale when we were there that David Nash made called Wooden Waterfall. And it was just this, it started with this just sort of fallen log and cut, that was by a stream and he cut a groove in it and the water ran down it. And then he put another bit of fallen timber underneath it cut a groove in that the water ran down that and it was a very I think he intended it as a very ephemeral mm. piece but uh, people loved it so much they kept repairing it and scraping the leaves out of the gullies and, and putting a new little bit of, making sure sort of, it was that... like the opposite of vandalism people just <laughs> were drawn to want to make it work and get water it's, to it's vandalism end. not vandalism but yeah, vandalism. isn't it yes <laughs> Yeah, well, whereas with the log lookout, I mean, I think the there's there's always insurance implications for any place that's got the public going into it, yeah. and if they have a worry that some child is going to climb up it and fall off or yeah. whatever or put their foot through something, then then I think mm. it's it it comes down and it it had its time. 
And I'm sure that there are, it's a great site for other pieces of work that other people might do. Mm. You know, it was on the junction of a road where um, there had been lots of battles because it's Northumberland and, you know, with the Scottish border, lots of skirmishes and things. And we kind of built it with the sort of shape that fitted with the, the landscape that you could see from it, the hills mm. that mm. were there. So it had, it was very particular to that place and it had its moment. And I think I'm sure there are lots of other creative people yeah. who can come along and yeah. do something on that site. Site specific, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and when yeah. it comes to like process and what your trademark is, is this scorching or the bleaching that when you come to recognise your furniture, you can absolutely see that it's Jim and Lizzie's work. And especially when it comes to vessels, because Jim, the vessels is solely yeah. your your department. But this, how yeah. did you come to discover the the scorching that that would would be kind of the thing that you would really throw yourselves into? Um, well, I've been doing quite a lot of wood turning anyway, making vessels. And then I, I was artist in residence at, at Crunel Sager College, it was called then. I think it's part of Manchester Metropolitan now. And they had a wood, metal, ceramics, textiles course. So I was there and hanging around. And I've been doing some wood turning and um, one of the guys there, one of the students, and I was only two or three years older than most of them anyway. One of the students said, oh, you ought to burn that. And I think it was a sort of... In the uh, sense that it's rubbish. Yeah, it was a oh, joke. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I think also what you ha- you're not saying is that the work you'd done previously had been very fine holly bowls. Yeah. So quite very delicate. fine, delicate holly bowls. Hollywood. Which you've done a few yeah. of more recently, but yeah. um, but then you were go- you went from that to quite thick, chunky yeah. oak, well, which was yeah. quite a big change, and a lot so, of, yeah, lots of people weren't too sure about. So that. I so I did try burning it to sort of call his bluff and sort of put two fingers back up to him, <laughs> and. Uh, and it looked quite good, nice sort of shiny black. But then I tried it with, and that was holly or fruit wood of some sort. But, but then I tried it with um, elm initially and then oak. And they're quite coarse grain timbers. There's a very big difference between the, the growth that happens in the summer at, when it's growing quickly and the winter when it's hardly growing at all. And when you burn that, the summer growth this quick growth gets burnt away more quickly okay. so i'm burning it with a blowtorch yes so that when you scrub the soot off to get the loose the kind of dirt off it it actually changes the texture quite dramatically and it even though it's sort of less brown and less wooden in one sense it actually makes it much more it makes the grain much more apparent mm. so that so i really love that from straight away and kind of we just carried on doing it that was when was that uh, i was 19 uh, early 1980s i think i think i've got one yeah. of yours here yeah, from 1986 like i've got yeah. like i found at an auction you have yeah. to, if you're recognized well, we it's got like a red tear 86. So 86 is when we started the outdoor stuff oh, cool. so, yeah. so i'd been doing bowls before oh let's have a look that's a nice one. one. Yeah. Here and it has like a red kind of mouth around the top. Oh, oh wow. yeah. I remember that. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. So this I is from the 80s, it. isn't it? It took yeah. quite a long time yeah. to make. 
and it's how long does it take for, to make something yeah. like that to like a vessel turn, like that yeah yeah oh, well <laughs> i usually cop out that by saying well about 40 years <laughs> yeah of course yeah. practicing um <laughs> but but well the, the actual time on the lathe assuming it comes out in one go and you don't have to rework it for some reason it's probably on the lathe for a couple of hours yeah wow. And how do you stop this, like the soot forming then? Because if you are scorching, there must be lots. Because touching these now, there's net, like the, the finish is quite. Well, you just um, got to scrub it hard to get all the loose off, and it just leaves a bit of charcoal. It's burnt. Charred surface. But, it's burnt quite hard, yeah. so there's quite a yeah. lot of soot. Yeah. Horrible job. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And how, how did you two then meet then? Because if you were, that was the initial sort of vessels that you were making alone. And then yeah. how did you two meet and I guess fall in love and then realize that you were kind of like-minded creative souls because you worked in ceramics didn't you Liz that's that's your background way way before well way before quite a while before that and actually one of the exciting things when I met Jim and um, went around to his house first was that he had lots of vessels there that he'd he'd um, made and were always in the process of making and I found that really exciting because um, for because it was at that time I hadn't worked in a pottery for maybe oh maybe six years or something like that. And so, uh, but it was just, and, and he, I think Jim's shapes at that time were quite ceramic mm. in a way, yeah, it, or yeah. it felt quite ceramic to well, me. Well, like moon jars, aren't they? That's yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was I was really excited by them. So I think well, it not was... Not me, did you get that? <laughs> oh, right. So she fell in love with the wood, with the vessels <laughs> rather than Jim. Okay. Uh, <laughs> very, very, yeah, very hard to, uh, very hard to separate them. <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> do you still work in ceramics now? Do you, aside yeah. from doing the furniture together? No, so it's solely you guys are on. No, no, that was something I did. I did when I was a student in between holidays. I did it after I finished my degree and um, for about six or seven years, mm-hmm. six years, uh, working in a pottery. Um, and that was, yeah. That was a long time ago. And then I, I didn't, I stopped doing that and I worked in a shop and I did music. But I'd always been interested in clay. And when I was a child, my one of my dad's friends gave me this big slab of clay, which later I recognised as the kind of blocks of clay you get from um, Wenger's and places like that in Stoke-on-Trent, or did at that time. Mm. And I just made stuff with it, always made stuff. 
What's Wenger's in Stoke-on-Trent? Is that like a... Oh, so well, that was, I don't know if it still exists. It was, um, it was just a supplier for, for um, pottery equipment oh, right, right, and right. glazes and clay. And I think it was called so, Wenger's. It's a long time ago now. But we've both always been people who've made things. Mm. You know, well, if not professionally, we've always done it anyway and yeah. always did do it. How, how are you finding now at this kind of... Uh, celebration in craft because I guess when it comes to fine art you've been on the craft side of it when it comes to furniture making and, and working oh. with wood do you feel there's been a massive shift now in seeing craft as it should be alongside contemporary art I think it shifting has it shifted yeah it's, it's taken more seriously now yeah you know even if you're just on a base level of looking at auction prices of things it's um, Liz is thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too big a question. <laughs> well, because you're in so many collections. You're like in the VA, yeah. the Craft Council, yeah. Manchester yeah. Art Gallery, the Kyoto Museum of Modern Art. You've you've yeah. you've been nominated nice, for prizes. Yeah. There's all these prizes now, like what Jonathan set up with the Wave Craft Prize yeah. and yeah. the Jerwood Furniture Prize. Yeah. There's a there's a big celebration for yeah that and, and and but there always still seems to be this hierarchy that that's art and that's craft but now there is in the, and i yeah. feel like in the last few years yeah. there's been a kind of breakdown of it's a that bit hierarchy up a bit i think yeah. have you noticed have you felt that chat shift at all it hasn't really changed what we do it maybe changed changes how people perceive what we do or who mm. who Changes perhaps where it gets shown a little bit. Right. There are more okay. galleries that are, you know, like Marsden with a, you'd be hard pressed to say. To define it. To define it. Yeah. 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 No, I think it has changed. I think you're right. It has yeah. changed. Yeah. Um, and I think it's fantastic. And I think possibly that's because I'm a big fan of three-dimensional objects that do that you know that have that complexity of a function and a form and uh and sometimes a message so it's um the things yeah i was just thinking for, if you think back a bit further um like when you were pottery working mm -hmm. in the pottery and when, and when i was first doing the work um you know, domestic pottery was everywhere. There were hundreds of domestic potters making stuff and people were buying, mm. you know, mugs and stuff. And I think that's, there is less of that now, isn't there? So the, 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 the art ceramics might have gone up. I think domestic ceramics. Well, ceramics are definitely being seen in a different, yes. in a more yeah. contemporary art context now. Yeah. Just with yeah. artists like Grayson Perry, for example, yeah. they yeah. Kind of yeah. change that narrative. Yes, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very. He different. had that great quote, didn't he, about um, it being more embarrassing. For no, him easier to, to come out. Easier to come out as a transvestite than as a the potter. Than as a potter. Yeah, exactly. To his yeah, art yeah. friends. I mean, the good the good thing about this this kind of perceived shift is that I think more people are getting to actually look 
um, at, at craft as you know and 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 actually interact with it more and for example there's an exhibition which is just opened in the Oxford Ceramics Gallery which you guys are a central part of called On the Table and this is running till the 22nd of December and will be a great opportunity to to actually visit if you live in the UK and see some of your work can you talk a bit about that new centerpiece which um you guys have created which is the kind of and you've gone back to Hollywood as well for that. Yeah. <laughs> Russell loves Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> I need some Hollywood in my life. Yes. Can be arranged. <laughs> yeah, well, the exhibition is called On the Table. And, and we made make the table. The table. <laughs> but you didn't curate this one. This is what you, no. you. No. Okay, right. Absolutely yeah. not. I mean, Absolutely it's got not. a wide variety of some of amazing work in there. Some lovely ceramics and metalwork, but all, it's not all domestic wear in, in the sense that you'd be drinking your tea out of it, but it's all domestic scaled ceramics and silverware. And yeah, there's a, there's a separate project of, uh, some, I think, six sil silversmiths that Amanda Game organised. So there's so that six as well. pairs of cupped silver little vessels, drinking cups. Yeah, or... yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's got it's real quite a range of um, work on yeah. that table, and I think well, they've got they moving it. They've got some on the walls, but yeah. they are moving the exhibits around and yeah. putting. So sometimes they'll be on the table, and sometimes they'll be so somewhere it's, else. I think it was the intention was sort of to remind people of the in a way to get things down from the shelves and, and yeah to handle them and use them not just yeah, mm. I'm, yeah, I'm really interested in the in the link between Japan as well because there's works by the Japanese master Shoji um Hamada and then you've mm. also got Dame Lucy Rye and Edmund Duval and even a friend of ours Giles Round who I have yeah. ceramics right behind me here on my um, yeah oh let's have a look oh, no, oh, oh yes yeah. oh no it's here yeah. um yeah, but I love Giles's um, ceramics, and he's someone yeah. that's definitely bridged the contemporary art. Yes, you know, right. yeah. Um, yeah. The work yeah. in the exhibition is quite different to that piece, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That one's like an uh, that was like a like almost like an urn where he kind of like burnt ashes inside it and stuff. Yeah. It was almost like part of a performance, I think. Yeah. Um, but what, what I like is the combination of these different influences because often you think to Japan, even with like, you know, ceramics, obviously, but also oh. China and different countries and like oh. the kind of influences. What what were your kind of early influences? Was it was it more European or were you looking to places like Japan? I think more European. Mm. Yeah. Like Bauhaus-y or... Uh, it? Or uh, Eileen Gray comes straight to oh, mind yeah. for me. Oh, right, yeah. As a yeah. furniture maker. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think the furniture maker of the 20th century, probably. So that's the Art Deco period. Mm. Oh, you're pushing me there. I can't quite remember what her dates are. It's like 19 She started out as a lacquerist doing sort of quite traditional lacquery, right. lacquered wear, and then ended up being a designing buildings and architecture Architect. in a very modernist, minimalist style. Mm. And then the furniture kind of went from one to the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, her, um, Brancusi is a sculptor, I suppose. Um, Anybody contemporary you're looking at now? You mean as influences? Yeah. Or as, I mean, do you collect? Do you collect furniture of other, <laughs> other artists? Or do you make, make your own everything? Like we mostly make our own. We, we haven't got a room. 
collect furniture, no. No, the occasional little bit. Magistretti furniture we have oh, for yeah, mid-century. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Vito, Vito Magistretti. Yeah, Vico. Yeah, yeah. yeah Vico. Vico, that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the um, Maralunga sofa, sofa. Great we, sofa. Yes, and we have some dining chairs, you know, yeah. plastic dining chairs. Yeah, plastic? love those. They are plastic. Yeah, dining chairs that are, yeah. you know, his designs are just lovely yeah. and so clever, you know. But, a Ron Arad chair. Oh, yeah. nice. But that was a swap for something. <laughs> oh, an art trade. Yeah. <laughs> there's um yeah. who else in terms Ma- of influences we have we, we have buy a co- ceramics we have a collection yeah. of small ceramics uh, uh, yeah. so uh so like there's some people have got um really big versions we've got really little versions of things <laughs> of artists working today or historical yeah yeah because yeah. yeah, our house i mean because our house isn't particularly huge it's hard to have space to put all this stuff and still have a bit of a minimal feel to it. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, that's the struggle, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, you're talking about Eileen Gray earlier, but um, I, some of the things you've done, which I really love the look of, were like, you made a library um, at, at one point, and um, there's kind of like these interior, even like cafes and, and different um, interior spaces. Oh, is, is that something you enjoy, like creating these kind of in, environments? Yeah. Yeah, it's a different yeah. challenge. It's a, and it's just kind of what's it going to be used for and how it's how is it going to be used and how what can mood you... does it want? Yeah, mm. yes. I mean, I think Liz is a natural interior designer, really. I'm curating the house all the time. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, so you'll curate your own house, but nobody else's. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, my sister. I'm the same as you, Liz. I'm always shifting things around, moving yeah. art putting yeah. different chairs and stuff in. Yeah, if you can't change your life, change your furniture. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's quote. In, moving around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Do you, uh, I, I have a lot of uh, other heroes, Obviously. which I see you kind of in the lineage of, which is like Alexandre Null. Do you know his work? And like the JB Blunk house is like on my wish list. Do you know JB Blunk? No. No. I'm going to write that one down. JB Blunk. And it's up in like the Redwoods uh, area, I think, of like San Francisco, sort of. Oh, I've right. got that wrong. But up, up there is America. And he's yeah. he carved a whole house out of wood and everything inside <laughs> it is like living. And he's passed on now. And now there's like an estate that looks after it. Yeah. But. That's Sounds a bit too woody for my taste. Too woody, yeah. <laughs> bit, bit Snow White yeah. and the Seven Dwarfs sort of territory, but, <laughs> but it, I think it needs to be needs to be seen. Yeah. And Alexandre Noel is uh, yeah. was a French uh, carver, yeah. was French yeah. artist, yeah. who I, I think is just yeah, phenomenal. But I see you, I see your work for me in that same kind of lineage. Well, that's um, very flattering. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Do you guys mm. like the idea of? Um, the viewer or the audience somehow activating what you create so that almost like it becomes complete when it starts to be experienced you know people actually sitting on it um you know contemplating the world around them is there an element of like enjoying sort of encouraging slowing down or or taking in the environment around you yeah to a degree there was i mean that's partly what sitting and looking exhibition was about that was to try and get people just to sit and look at something and not to walk past it onto the next amazing bit of something and then onto the next one. Mm. So there is that. Yeah. Slowing and we've down. All, yeah. And that's, I mean, and we've that's... always asked that if at all possible, you know, the work that we have in exhibitions can be sat on 
and very often at a private view I'll sit on it so that people get the idea that yeah. this is a good plan because people will often look at things and think oh well, yeah but can I sit on it yeah you want people to feel how it yeah. feels to sit on and it. that function and use functionality I mean it does change how you perceive an object if you're using it if it's a, a vessel that's got fruit in it or a I mean, I made a bowl for someone recently who wanted it for their kitchen to have salt in. And if you picture those black bowls, but with a little scoop in it, with, filled with salt, I mean, it's a fantastic idea. Mm. It wasn't my idea, it's her idea. Mm. Uh, so I was really pleased to do that. Mm. Yeah. Good. So listeners, if you want commissions, <laughs> you've got ideas, then go to <laughs> Jim and, Jim and Liz. Those are really good ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, how does that work within commissions, like in public commissions and people giving you commissions? Is there, is there a kind of back and forth of ideas or do you sort of, if it's, you know, a really strong public commission, they've got an idea, are you, are you sort of, you have to kind of go with what they want? Once, once we've done in the past, there's usually been quite a clear brief I mean, we haven't done a commission like that for four or five years. Well, Big Abbey yeah, was about four, five, four or five years ago. Well, and that was a brief to make furnish for outside a new building and in the entrance to the new building and to, to kind of lift and through into the gallery and through into the gallery spaces. So it was to, so it's partly it's. So we're, we know what the building is going to look like. It's a new building in an old site. So there's new stuff and old stuff, and we're trying to make something that connects the two. Mm. So we would normally make, we would listen to what their brief is, and then we would make a model. Yeah. And then they decide if they like the model. And actually, generally, people do. I can't think yeah. of situations where they've said, yeah. oh, no, I don't like that. Yeah. But in terms yeah. of... Yeah, that's sort of public commission. Yeah, so model there. making is quite features in the public commissions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a way of working out and making sure that everybody is agreed that this is the way forward. Mm -hmm. you know, whereas if we're just making something to go in a gallery, it doesn't really matter as long as it fits through the door in the gallery. There's no rules. No yeah. rules. You know, it, it sells or it doesn't sell. But. Yeah. Um, and what, what about um, sort of more ambitious projects in the sense of like uh, bridges? Because you've made a number of bridges, which I absolutely love. One of my favourites is actually the smallest one, which is in more than Scotland. Um, which uh, It's called yeah, I love that bridge. Three steps on it. It's amazing. One handrail. I'm going to post a picture of it on our Instagram. But I, I love the different bridges you've made. Can you speak a bit about the challenges that presents when you make a more ambitious kind of larger work? That I guess so, you must have to work with structural engineers or something. With bridges up to a certain size, it's dead straightforward. Yeah. And we have got a graph that an architecture, an architect friend of ours produced saying. If you're using slabs of wood to make a bridge, if it's if two it, meters long, it needs to be 200 millimeters if deep. Oak. If it's four meters long, it needs to be. Yeah, and so. that's sort of very straightforward. Oh God, wow. Uh, it doesn't sound about, straightforward. It sounds terrifying to me. Over, <laughs> but I, love, I love your confidence. <laughs> over a certain length, you do need to get an engineer involved. Right. And also it depends who you're working for. If you're, yeah. if you're working for... Yeah. Um, a council uh, who want a bridge yeah. in a certain place, they will 
they will want to have that, all of that stuff absolutely tied and up. That's not all and fair enough. You know. That's not all engineering. That's also a lot to do with um public public liability safety. and safety. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. handrail heights, there's rules about that, you've got to obey them. Access. Um the gaps between verticals. If it's attached to a house and it's part of house building regulations, then it's the same rules as apply to banisters on the staircase. Can't have gaps bigger than 100 millimeter meters because babies can get their head stuck through them. Um, if it's if it's outdoors and not attached to a building, the rules are slightly different. But obviously, there are obvious practical, serious things like. You don't want people to fall off and you don't want pram wheels to go over the edge. Mm. <laughs> um, but I mean, we have done things in private spaces where, you know, we did one bridge with maybe five meters long, mm. just a single curved slab of chunk of fallen tree. And we made two handrails, but the customer said, oh, we put one on and the customer client um, said oh that looks great i want it like that let's keep it like that so it just has one hand road you know which you couldn't do in a public space which we preferred but yeah, you know you we were thinking well, that yeah. you would need yeah. to have yeah. more than one but i've come the stuff we make tends to be a little bit over well it, the, the beams are very often thicker than they need to be or whatever because it is you know that that big strong pieces of timber are very attractive to us mm. And is there is there a kind of like romantic or poetic kind of um, idea behind the idea of a bridge? Because for me, there is like I see it not not necessarily oh, yeah. to do with fairy tales, but more to do with bringing people together and like yeah, that definitely. bridging of space. Mm. And yeah, yeah no, it's, it, they start off straight away with the positive. Yeah, it's a connecting and an interconnecting. Bridging is. And we quite often made things through curving and tapering as well, so there's this sense of a journey just in the crossing of the bridge. Yeah, I mean, there are lovely things that you can yeah, get into. Really nice to make. That whole little book about the bridge. Yeah. We'll send you a copy. It's a, uh, just oh, yeah. a playful thing, that, that, that booklet. booklet that Jim did about the bridge. But, you know, when you think about stuff like that, you think about rims, they're connecting points. You know, mm -hmm. think about rims on a vessel. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, the inside, outside. Yeah. Yeah. But bridges. Good things, bridges. Yeah. Oh yeah, love a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> love a bridge. Well, before we get to our final questions, I just want to uh, highlight a work which I want to go and see, which is an altar that you designed for Christchurch Cathedral in 2000 mm. in Oxford. Which, and you've been nominated for many, many prizes, but I know that you won this prize, which is the ACE Award, which I didn't know existed for art in a religious context in 2003 mm. for this work. But can we just talk a little bit about that? Because images look amazing i mean oxford itself isn't and christchurch the history there and everything but this is a permanent altar that is there yeah how was that that yeah, it was, that was quite stressful yeah quite amazing because of, the, as well. of the, the history attached yeah. yeah and um because we decided to make a table basically i'm thinking what was what was it that the d Said. He said, he said it, it, are we oh, saying about we size? asked him well what is an altar what's it for and he, he John Drury wasn't it gave us um sort of clear instructions with the history of altars in the Catholic tradition and in the Church of England tradition and the differences and all this and that but he ended up saying well basically it's a work made for a vicar 
So right. which, you know, so it's got to be at that sort of height and you've got to be able to put things on it and stand behind it. Yeah, so we got, um, yeah. we got, we then designed something which was a table that was height that was solid that we yeah. cut a cross out of. So it's yeah, almost like it. the church and the congregation and this sort of So thing. should we try and describe it? <laughs> she throws her hands up. <laughs> like, absolutely it's, not. We so are not describing solid, anything today, Jim. I said this from the start. Cube, <laughs> an enormous solid cube of wood. Yes. So, so big that we couldn't find anything around here. And it ended up with um, getting something from... Came from Windsor Park, right. Windsor Great Park, the log. And then we made a cut a rectangle out of it. And then out of what is now the underneath, we cut out a three of that rectangle. Of that rectangle. We cut out a cross shape mm. that comes up in curve. I can't describe it either. We'll put um, images on. So when you remove the cross, it looks you're, so you're left with a basically an asymmetric four-legged table and a cross and an obvious link between the two. But there's like and a window, isn't it? The cross yeah. forms a window. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, yes. Yeah. and yeah. the the shape that's left yeah. after the cross came out yeah. was like very much like a church window with yeah. the, the curve to a point at the top. So there's lots of room for metaphor and. Uh, there was, interpretation if you mm, want to mm. there was a wonderful moment when I was working underneath on the underneath of it so I was lying on the floor uh, working on the underneath of this um, altar and the choir was rehearsing in the room next door and it was the it was dusk and the light was really mm. sort of mellow and I just thought this is bliss <laughs> <laughs> it was just beautiful yeah. sounds in a fantastic yeah. sort of setting but I think the um, yeah, that's when we were installing it. Wasn't mm. it? I think the hardest part of that job actually wasn't for us. It was for John Nielsen, who's the letter cutter, who cut the bit of text that goes with it because it because the altar is to celebrate um, George Bell, Bishop, Bishop Bell. Bell. So John cut this sort of twenty words of text straight into the cathedral floor. He and said he probably. Down on his knees in front of the altar for more than anyone in the last several centuries. <laughs> centuries, yeah. And, and, and there's no going back. Chipping you know. away at a 500 year old floor. Whatever wow. <laughs> Got to be so confident in his spelling. So he had oh, a trippy yeah, job. Can you imagine? You've got your E in your eye back to front on something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! Well, yes. Yeah, so, well, we're going to post images of that because that, to me, looks really magical, and I'd love to go and see that. Yeah. Um, so we go on to our last questions, which are the first one is: if you could do an art heist, if you could steal any work of art in the world, whatever it is, a, another piece of furniture, a building, a ceramic, what would it be, and why? One each or one between us? Oh yeah, let's, one let's do one each. It's so yeah. much fun. <laughs> <laughs> you can have two. Yeah. I think I would have uh, a Lucy Ree vessel. Ooh, oh, you would, nice. yeah. Mm. So have you, you must have seen a lot of them in the flesh yeah. over the years. One of the one of those beautiful footed bowls, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I'm really torn for myself. I started, I was thinking about this question because I knew you asked this question. Yeah. And I started off thinking, oh, I'll definitely have an Eileen Gray screen. There's a lacquered black one, which I think the V&A have got one. Oh. And then 
that or then I saw that program about Bridget Riley and I thought oh I really love that picture of hers that was called the kiss so I'd have that it's amazing that was. it was just yeah. two black was, shapes not quite kissing because <laughs> we tried to think of things that we agreed on yeah so we would both have that <laughs> yeah 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 and what's your work in the VNA? Bridget Riley yeah what's the work that you have in the VNA collection uh, they've got one of our block seats an early uh, quite an early block seat yes. with a very burry piece of um yeah piece of oak that's in their furniture collection they've also got a, we made the plinth for a piece of glass by colin reed by colin reed that's in a different gallery i think so. that's in the religious gallery mm-hmm. sacred sacred gallery yeah i'm not quite sure what it's called yeah. right yeah yeah now them single block seats there's there's yeah. several examples of them yeah. and they're, they're yeah. something that you go back to a lot yeah yeah, yeah. They're, yeah they're still fun to make i mean we've, we've made uh, yeah, and you're responding to the timber as well, and it, they are all different. Yeah, yeah. Just started on a pair of them at the moment. Yeah. So two from this cut from the same block of wood. So the cut surface is the end grains will match up. So I'm imagining them the on either side of the fireplace or something. Mm. Like yeah. Yeah. When you use that word, Liz, just then burry. So that means kind of being covered with knots and knots and barbs yeah. and quills. Sort of little ingrowing. Yeah, it's it's sort of it's um it's a sort of ingrowing imperfection that that interrupts the interrupts the whole sort of flow of the timber. Yeah. Mm. It, you see it on the outside of oak trees, great big sort of um gnarly lumps. Gnarly lumps. Yeah. yeah. That's a burr and it goes into the trunk as well in a kind of almost in a kind of pointed way. So they're an outside influence on the tree. They're not part. Yeah, of it. yeah I think it's a fun- I think it's a fungal thing that causes it. Oh right. And then the- so you get so when we we cut off the bark and we cut off the sap, mm. so quite a bit of that would go. But there's very often a lot that goes into the that further into yeah. the tree. I think that bowl that you had in your hand earlier. Yes. Like, yes. Has that got? Yeah, that's the imperfections in that are sort of yeah burnt. at the top there. Right, right, right. So, and the epidermis of a tree then is bark, sap, then you're at the point of... There's bark, sapwood, which is still got a lot of moisture going up and down it, then heartwood, which is the more durable the stuff. hard stuff. And that's the stuff you work with? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Um, Russ, that's an insult you've often called me, a, a gnarly lump. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm you can pleased call him come bear up. in future. I'm going to start calling me bear. lump, yes. <laughs> Um, bear. The, the other question we ask every guest is what is your favorite color you would say brown <laughs> <laughs> yellow brown like, oh yellow brown. Okay. <laughs> ebony yes uh, um, I'd, I'd have to go with red oh. and why what why red I like it. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's very tricky with colours, isn't it? You're talking colour of clothes or colour of houses or colour of I like the sky or what? Yeah. They're all different. Yeah. What's your favourite colour? Uh, uh, go on, Russ. Well, I, I'm blue or orange. I kind of and I kind of like more vibrant blues and oranges, like neo fluoro sort of side of it. Mm. I, I I love orange. 
because I was told when I was a teenager that orange was a really invigorating color and it would make you feel positive. So I used to wear it a lot. And, right. um, and I actually find it to be a true thing. It's almost like you can change your mental state through what you color you wear or surround yourself with. Yeah, yeah. And I've become really attracted to orange in ceramics as well. I love it um, as it in, you know, when it's glazed on ceramic. I love yeah. the kind of the richness of orange. I find it quite invigorating. Yeah, there was a there was a time when I was quite, um, quite depressed mm. and um, I, I bleached my hair at the front and dyed it red. Oh. And it shaped me up no end. I mean, it really did make wow. quite a difference. Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, it was just, yeah, just a front bit. <laughs> you know, behind you, you're surrounded by books. So there is literature or, or um, reading something that inspires you both. I heard that you've obviously made artist books yourselves, but um, is, that, is that something that is a big sort of source of inspiration for you? Uh, well, I, I love to read. I, I mean, those books behind us are all, Work, work related they're all art books oh, really? this is the which office. is a great you know this is our office this is a great way to look at people's work that you can't afford and have it around and, and enjoy it but i mean i love to read a novel that's my that would be my favorite pastime that's how you switch off what, what sort of novels have you been reading recently um i just finished reading column toy beans uh what's it called the, Ma the magician okay and, which I thought was really interesting about sort of the life of German expat, as it was about Thomas Mann, the author, mm -hmm. German expat, uh, German evacuee from the Nazis. Um, really like that, because I was just completely absorbed in this world that, that is so far removed from where I live and how I live. Mm. And I'm just reading another book whose name I've forgotten, but it's about young Indian men trying to make a life in England, which is really, really interesting. Mm. So yeah, contemporary literary novels is what I love. Yeah. What's the an escape from your kind of, your actual work, I guess, as well. Yeah. It's quite a physical experience, what you guys do. It is paper, well, it's just it is kind of wood. It's into a different thing, it? <laughs> <laughs> It's still part of like the tree family, so you're not really escaping. But what it's is true, I prefer to read a book than I, would read on a screen so yeah 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 i like that the, well it's an object isn't it that you like we like <laughs> yeah. objects yeah. yeah yeah what is the best advice different. what's the yeah. best advice that you've ever received when it comes to your practice Boris <laughs> Vanderbrocker, who is professor at furniture at the royal college told me i ought to work harder <laughs> i didn't take that advice mm -hmm. Oh, well, I work quite hard. <laughs> Best advice. Oh, yeah. Um, the guy at Southern Arts, when they commissioned a shelter, so yeah. we were commissioned to make a shelter in Chilton yeah. Sculpture Trail a long time ago, and Southern Arts were funding it, and their arts officer, his name I can't recall, sadly. David. David. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> um, he said, we want you to push yourselves further, do something bigger and grander. Yeah. It, and if it, and if, it, if it doesn't work, that's doesn't not work. a failure. Mm. Playing it safe, he said, would be a failure, and we don't want that. So try. That yeah. was good. Yeah. That was really yeah. good advice. And it was a lovely, really nice thing. <laughs> so and it, it worked. Was right. it worked. Yeah. And, and have you carried that forwards then? 
No. <laughs> so you like to play it safe. So play it safe isn't a failure for you, but in that example, it no, could no, have been. No, no, I mean, no. Well, that stretched us, and then yeah. that became, we could, well, we can do things this scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. I know it's so, funny that, yeah. thinking, there, thinking big and having the permission. So that was before all the big, big footbridges, yeah. wasn't it? Was it? Yes, it was. Yeah. It was called yeah. the big So it gave bridges. us the confidence to. And the yeah. permission to do and, that. And yeah. the permission to do big. Yeah, and yeah. not to worry about it. And not to worry about it, yeah. Although you do. <laughs> yeah. Nature of the beast. Yes. I've loved this. Yeah. Been this so has been amazing. Brilliant. You guys are awesome. Thank you so, so much for coming on Talk Art, Jim Partridge and Liz Warmsley. Pleasure. Yes. Yeah, thank you for making it such a nice thing. No worries. And for everyone listening, we'll be posting images on our Instagram at Talk Art. And you can also visit the Oxford Ceramics Gallery um, until the 22nd of December. So get there before Christmas and you can see the wonderful new installation with the table called On the Table that has lots of different artists um, all interacting with uh, Liz and Jim's table. Thank you so much. And um, uh, we'll be back very soon. You, you guys aren't on Instagram, are you? Are yeah. You? Oh, you are? No. Yeah, you know. no. Well, yes, no, you're not. No. <laughs> oh, you're uh, privately on it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I'm on it. I haven't posted anything this year. <laughs> okay. okay. We're not well, being we'll, on Instagram. We'll, we'll put your hashtag so that people can um, discover images of your work there, and we'll also be sharing lots of images. And all the Thank galleries. you so much for your time. It's Thanks, been so guys. lovely to spend time with you. Right. And um, see you very soon. Yeah, Great, lovely. lovely. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Bye. We'll be back very soon. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com